0: Thanks again to Kim and Laura for sharing, and Lord willing, I plan to go to El Paso in March, and uh, the invitation is open to you. In so many ways, I, I just see it as like the ideal missions trip. I mean, an actual smorgasbord of various ministry opportunities you can choose from, uh, and then rotate through that. I mean, you, you normally you've got to go to the other side of the world somewhere to have that uh, number and quality of ministry opportunities all in one location. And you can actually drive there, you know, if you want to save a little money or get a, get a cheap flight. So we will be talking more about that and opportunities for, uh, depending on the age of your kids, maybe whole families uh, to go there. So excited about that. If you want to turn to Matthew chapter 6, I am, uh, I'll be honest with you. This is a sermon by honesty uh, this morning being real, so I'll be honest with you. Um, I have put off preaching through the book of Revelation uh, for 20 years. <laughs> That's a long time. Um, not always intentionally, but but you know, someone's like, am I going preach on next? Not Revelation. That's usually like, I know I'm not going to do Revelation next. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm not going to do Revelation. Uh, but Lord, well, I'll get to that sometime this fall, but for the next but we've got about six or eight sort of uh, mini series through the book of Matthew here, uh, and we're going to start that this morning in chapter six. And while I was working on this message, I think it was Friday, late morning, early afternoon. I got a call, phone call, and I almost got scammed. Uh, therefore, the church almost got scammed. A, a guy was calling. He said he'd moved to Westby about a year ago. He'd been to church before, and I had his had his name, so I'm trying to put a name with a face and and I wasn't able to do that, but but he had had a need, and we often get phone calls like this, and we're often able to help. You know, maybe it's somebody needs a tank of gas going through town. We've given uh, hotel nights for folks that need it. We'll pay electric bills and help with rent, those sorts of things. That's your benevolent fund that you contribute to, and we try to be a good steward of it, which is why we don't just hand out money uh, willy-nilly. So I'm asking a few questions, and he and he goes on and on, and the, the story just kept getting worse and worse. His uh, little daughter had just gotten in the hospital from an asthma attack, and the job he went down there, welding job, uh, they're going to send a check here, so he didn't have the cash, and it began to sound like he had sort of a, uh, a, just a, a checklist. He's just checking the boxes of all like a bunch of tragedies that could happen all at once that would justify asking for money. So I'm listening, you know, always with a compassionate ear, uh, but also a skeptical ear on the other side. And I finally asked him for his address. He lives in Westby. And he said he lives on CTHB. Do you, know, do you know where CTHB is? Anybody? It's right out there. It's County Road B. And if he's lived there for a year, he would call it County Road B. He's not going to call it CTHB. The only way he's going to call it CTHB is if he's looking on Google Maps or, or paging through a phone book or something like that. Um, he never called me back. He must have uh, figured out that I was on to him. Of course, we have to be careful. The good use of church funds, we have to be careful that we're not deceived by others in a wide variety of ways. But our problem is not just with being deceived by people out there, but by being deceived from, by our hearts within us. I'm going to read to you the first verse of Matthew chapter 6, and then we're going to figure out. Who is Jesus talking to? Because this is a very serious verse, and we need to figure out who he's talking to. Chapter 6, verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before others in order to be seen by them. Later in the chapter, he calls them hypocrites many times. So in Jesus' day, who were the hypocrites who practiced their righteousness before others to be seen by them? Those are Pharisees, of course, right? Jesus is always picking on the Pharisees, and for good reason, they, they strut around in their big, fancy, flowing robes with their phylacteries on them, and they, they wanted one the, of the, the best places at, at the table and praying in the synagogues. I mean, they just comp- constantly elevate themselves as the top spiritual dog. So yeah, it's definitely the Pharisees, right? Jesus is talking to the Pharisees here. Well, let's make sure about that. Chapters 5 through 7, we're in the middle here, 6, are known as the Sermon on the Mount. You probably know that. And it all, it's all one unit. So we have to go back to the beginning of chapter 5 to see to whom he is speaking. Chapter 5, verse 1 Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. So these three chapters are directed to. To his disciples. Now that doesn't just mean his twelve disciples. That's the way we're used to uh, thinking of that term. But a disciple was a follower, and Jesus had crowds of followers, not the, not just those who were just beginning to be interested, but but were really followers. I mean, they they would follow him from town to town to town to town. They had a a, a definite targeted interest in this man, Jesus. And honestly, not a whole lot different than than sort of an average congregation. We have, you know, crowds of people that come that have a real definite interest in Jesus, but not everyone here is saved, and everybody has a different level of interest in Jesus, and same with the crowds there. Not everyone was saved, and and those who were called disciples, some of them just left him in Mass, uh, John chapter 6. So just because you're called a disciple doesn't mean that you're a... uh, Say it, first of all, or uh, that you're dedicated yet. So that's who he was talking to. Do you know what that means? That means Jesus is talking to us. Because that, that, uh, the, the crowds there, those gr- groups of disciples, perfectly match who we are. He's talking to you and me. And he's saying, beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be seen by them. He said, this is what hypocrites do. Jesus was driving at what I'm calling this morning our treasonous hearts. Treason involves betraying someone or something. Betraying someone or something. Now, that may sound like a kind of a bold or a strong word to use, but but tell me this. If we decide to worship self instead of worshiping Jesus, could we call that treason? Treason. If we think our reputation before others is far more important than our relationship with Christ, is it fair to call that treason? It's a form of betrayal, I think. It's certainly idolatry, but we hear even that word so often. I don't want us to miss the seriousness of what Jesus is saying to us, to me, to you. So I'm giving it the label of treason. Treason that's what our hearts do. Our hearts, even as believers, believers whose souls have been bought by the precious blood of Christ, we still do this. We turn our backs on the Lord because it's lodged deep within our heart. It almost always goes undetected. And that's especially true when treason is associated with doing good things, doing righteous things. Obvious sins Feel like treason of the heart. But are you telling me that I can do all manner of good things and still have a treasonous heart? Yes. It's exactly Jesus' entire point here. And he makes it uh, in an interesting way. uh, Familiar passage, I think, to most of us. He talks about three Righteous acts, giving and praying and fasting, and when you put them in parallel, you you see immediately it's the same message. It's just three different three different ways of talking about. It. When you give, don't sound your trumpet like the hypocrites do, uh, but uh, give secretly because if you if you don't, you don't have a reward. Your reward is the the praise of men. But if you do it secretly, then your heavenly Father reward you. When you pray. Don't be a hypocrite, don't stand in the, in the, in the city, uh, because that will be your reward, being seen by men, but instead pray in secret, and when you fast, uh, don't look all somber, uh, so that you will be seen by men, that's your reward, but do it secretly, and your Father who sees in secret, who knows all that you do, as well as the motive of your heart, will reward you. So you see that parallelism there. It's all the exact same message, just with three different ideas of giving, praying, and fasting. But what's one of the primary assumptions here? Jesus said, when you give, when you pray, and when you fast. Do you see what he's doing here? He's assuming that you're already, you're very active, and that's a good thing. You're, you're praying, and you're giving, and you're fasting. So he's not uh, uh, telling us or teaching us to pray, give, and fast. He's just assuming that we're already doing these acts of righteousness. These are some, just some, of the spiritual fruits of a godly person. But they're also the very thing that can turn us into rank hypocrites. There's actually two types of hypocrites. There are hypocrites who are deceived and largely don't know they're deceived, and then there are hypocrites who know they uh, are deceiving others, uh, and that's sort of the worst kind. I, I, I sort of think Jesus is thinking of the, the former kind, those that are deceived, they're, they're, they're acting hypocritically, they just don't know that they're acting hypocritically, which I think is maybe a more dangerous type of hypocrisy, actually. For the most people who practice their righteousness before men, they are just simply not aware that they're doing so. Your treasonous heart has deceived you, and the worst part is that you're doing acts of righteousness. That, that, that is your, your, the deceptions built into that. I mean, it's one thing to commit acts of sins and, and realize, okay, yeah, that's hypocritical and I shouldn't be doing that. But if I'm doing all these good Christian-type righteous acts, And I'm still, I'm giving, I'm fasting, praying. From all appearances, it looks like I'm doing all the right things. I look like an ideal Christian. From all appearances, I have the appearance of a godly, dedicated person. But that's the thing. It's mere appearances. I'm doing all the right things for the wrong reasons. That's hypocrisy. Doing the right things for the wrong reasons. That's treason. Understand, I haven't given up God for golfing. I haven't substituted worship of God for, for worship of money. I'm not worshiping those more obvious idols. I'm worshiping what we could call the idol of reputation. Or you could call it the idol of image. I, I don't care what you call it. But, but you see what Jesus is driving at here. That happens when you do the right things for the wrong reasons. And Jesus used these three areas of giving, fasting, and praying. But don't think our self-exalting acts are limited just to these three First of all, fasting isn't even that high of a priority for the believer. When you account for all the parallels in the Gospels, it only turns out there's three instances of fasting in all the Gospels. That one of them is here, Matthew chapter 6. It doesn't have a parallel, but it doesn't look like a really a positive thing, does it? I mean, it could be positive, but it also could be uh, an example of, of terrible hypocrisy. In, the, in three Gospels that do parallel one another, Jesus is telling his disciples, listen. Uh, disciples of, of John, they can fast, but, but you you don't have to fast while I'm here. So, so even there, it's not a command. And then in Luke 18, the Pharisee bo- boasts, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. So their fasting is used in a very negative sense as a form of boasting. So only three times in the Gospels. How many times do you think it appears in the rest of the New Testament? Zero. Absolutely Zero. Fasting is mentioned three times in all the New Testament, and two of those occurrences uh, it's associated with are clearly an example of boasting or exaltation of self. Now, I'm not saying fasting is wrong. Absolutely not. Many believers, and maybe some of you, have been helped immensely through some practices of fasting. The few times that I've tried over the years, I just get a massive migraine, and it just does not tend to be helpful whatsoever because I'm, I'm, I'm suffering through that. And you might say, well, if you're really spiritual, Maura, and you might be right. Maybe there's something I should uh, persevere in there. But my point is fasting is not commanded in Scripture. But again, it's not just these three acts of righteousness that are at play here. He's just using three of the most common ones as an illustration of anything that we could do, anything done in God's name, any act that we do that appears to be, appears to be something that a good Christian is supposed to do. It's it's stuff that's in the Bible, stuff you're supposed to do. Anything we might do as long as it ultimately can be noticed by somebody else. Possibilities are just endless. I don't have time uh, to list them all. Uh, um, You know, anything that's done within the, the, the church arena, anything that's done in your home as parenting, anything that's done in the community. I mean, just literally anything that would allow you to present an image of yourself to anybody that sees you, okay? Anything that you might do that somebody else could see, including social media. So what then is the difference between doing righteous acts before men are doing them in secret. So Jesus is clearly sort of aiming at that, isn't he? It's not so much the actual secrecy, but that which is in your heart. That's what he's driving at. Now, obviously, if you can do some things in secret, by all means do them. You know, if uh, I had millions and millions of dollars, and I, and I gave it to uh, some Christian school somewhere, and I demanded that it say... Rich Maurer honorary building, blah, blah, blah. Now, some people do that totally fine. I mean, if you give like $20 million to a building, you certainly have a right to put your name on it. But far better, far better to give $10 million to a university and not have any mentioned, right? Jesus is clearly, clearly saying that. But in general... Secrecy can't be the only goal here because was Jesus ministering in secret? Absolutely not. Thousands, countless thousands of people witnessing his teaching and his miracles and his healing. uh, All done in the public eye. It's not in secret. And I found it's really hard to pastor in secret. It it just is. I mean, we sort of did that during COVID, but it it was not very good. You can't lead worship in secret. See, that's why Jesus is not just aiming at outward appearances, but he's aiming at the heart, which is then an example of uh, an outward appearance. This is why we are so often hypocrites who do not know we are hypocrites because it's hidden, hidden in our hearts. Let me show you how radical Jesus' warning is in verse 1 by using... Uh, we've seen this before, the, the root to fruit diagram. By the way, I've, hopefully I've mentioned this before, but this is largely drawn from the book Gospel Fluency. So we've just sort of massaged it and changed it uh, over the last couple of years. But the, the, the point here is to help you uncover what is in your heart. First of all, take a look at, at the fruit of your life, those, those things that, that are obvious uh, in your life, good, good or bad, right? Uh, the sins, list of sins, and the the righteous acts. now now Jesus has included all of those things as the fruit of your life, what's in your heart and the lies that underpin all of those other things. For example, uh, on the left you see uh, fruits of the flesh, and then on the right uh, the, the good fruit, the fruits of the spirit. then that reminds you, of course that comes from Galatians chapter five and before Paul lists the fruits of the spirit. He lists the fruits of the flesh, and they are as follows. follows, The works of the flesh are obvious. That's a, a CSB translation. I like that. They're, they're just obvious. You, you see them. Sexual immorality, impurity. As I read these, think also of things that are like super obvious or things that you actually can't see by looking at somebody. Sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Some of those are like, ugh, right? And some of them are like, I mean, can you see envy in somebody? Not very easily. I mean, if you don't know them at all, uh, certainly, you can't see some of these things because they're lodged deep in our hearts. Now, it's, But he does call them obvious and it, it seems like most of them are obvious ought to be on the left column, right? They're clearly fruits of the flesh. But what Jesus is saying is that anything that can also appear on the right, all of those righteous acts can actually be on the left. Depends on the motive of your heart. Any. So-called good thing you do for the wrong reason is a form of hypocrisy which reveals an idol of reputation, an idol of image. You want to appear to be someone that you are not. Here's the other mistake we make with Jesus' warning about practicing our righteousness before others. We think that, that those who, who do that, um, it's just so terribly obvious. I mean, if you're going to fake your righteousness, I mean, we think of the Pharisees, Right? I mean, it would have been easy to point out, again, they're, they're flowing robes, and all the, 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 the attention they're, they're constantly uh, looking for. And even the way Jesus describes what not to do. You know, don't sound a trumpet when you give. Don't, don't look all sad and somber and weak when you fast. And don't go and pray boldly and uh, loudly in the street corners. You know, those things are obvious. So, so you ought to be able to spot a fake a mile away. That's sort of the way we think about this Yet, those obvious examples of hypocrisy are not usually that obvious. Remember the parable of the tax collector where the Pharisee said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, all the, the people on the left column. He could have gone on or like this tax collector over here. And I read the other part. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. See, our, our hidden hypocrisy is so hidden, it can make us turn the tables on this parable and say something like this God, I thank you, I'm not like that hypocritical Pharisee whose faking is so obvious to all. I would never, ever do that. Isn't that crazy? We think that such things are obvious, but they're not. So Jesus has to drill down into the motives of our heart, not just the things that are so obvious, but the motives of our heart, and they're not always so obvious as that boastful Pharisee. Jesus says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. That means you can say whatever you want. I can say whatever I want. I can I can preach good sermons, bad sermons. I you know I can aim at the Bible. I can I can be as good as I think I can possibly be. And my heart it could still be miles from the Lord. That ought to frighten every single one of us. I know of three megachurch pastors in the last three years. Who've taken their own lives. I know of one, I know the story of one a little better than the others. And this man was about his reputation, like I think the next day. And it wasn't even his reputation, it was like somebody in his family. So it wasn't like some gross, immoral, immoral act that he had done. The reputation of his family uh, was going to be tainted, it was going to be revealed to all. Therefore, his reputation uh, was going to go along with it. And he took his own life that night. I'm guessing uh, what tends to happen is, right, the, the pressure of ministry, the, the, the more people with whom you have an image of some kind, right? You, you, they're going to know you. They're, they're going to see you, the, the way you talk, the way you behave. Uh, uh, but it, all those people are watching you as the ministry grows. But if your heart you know, wants to go like this as... As everybody's heart goes like this, but they, they don't want anyone to see their heart is going like this. They want they want just a firm leader who's who's going in this direction. And everything is okay. Nobody knows them. Nobody knows them. They're they're hidden. It's all about image. I really appreciate the gospel-centered life book. Some of you have uh, started to use this resource. I want to focus on two of the six ways of minimizing sin, they list there in the book, faking and hiding. This is the way they describe faking. I strive to keep up appearances and maintain a respectable image. My behavior, to some degree, is driven by what I think others think of me. I also do not like to think reflectively about my life. As a result, not many people know the real me. I may not know the real me. You see, there's, there's two fundamental issues there. One, the striving to keep up a respectable image, but also not looking reflectively at your life, uh, not looking uh, at the heart motives uh, that drive everything, literally everything you do. And then hiding defines, I tend to conceal as much as I can about my life, especially the bad stuff. This is different from faking in that faking is about impressing. Hiding is more about shame. I don't think people will accept or love the real me. Can you see how these are two sides of, of the same coin? Now, there's so much more here than just giving and fasting and praying in public. This concerns our really every bit of our lives and our, our, our drive to put forth a certain image, a good reputation. In order to maintain that, what we do is we fake and we hide and we fake and we hide and we fake and we hide. Now, does everybody do this? I mean, could you make a case afterwards? I'll we'll go back in my office and, and if you want to make a case for me that, that you don't ever fake and hide, um, I'll listen to you. I'll try to be a really good listener, and I'll reflect back. So what you're saying is, I don't think you ever, I'll really try to do that. But I'm telling you, I'm biased going into that conversation. I don't think anybody escapes it ever. Now, there are degrees, aren't there? There are degrees. So so I understand that. I don't want to paint with a broad brush. Oh, you're all completely faking and hiding all the time. That, That would just be like mean and wrong. But we all do it sometimes, and sometimes we do it a lot. And most of the time, we're not aware that we're doing it. It's all about the heart. Why would we fake and hide, fake and hide? Why would we substitute worship of Jesus for worship of self? Is is it just pure, sinful, uh, audacious pride that, that drives this? Why would somebody work so hard to fake and hide their real selves? Let me zoom in on this diagram and uh, start to uncover what, what I think is the, the answer to this. Uh, if the idol of reputation causes us to fake and to hide, so first of all, we have to admit, yeah, we, we do fake and hide, even though we may not know how much we're faking and hiding yet. There is one, by the way, who knows all and will tell you all, okay? I mean, I, I could just preach that sir. I could just say that this morning, and that might be enough. Uh, he knows all he sees in secret, uh, and he'll reward you in secret, or he'll he'll, he'll tell you that you have these things. But if you're faking and hiding, if you can admit at least that's a possibility, or you have done in the past, then you back up and say, yeah, it's an image. It's it's an idol of reputation that I'm trying to put forth. I, I want everyone to know and think that I'm this sort of person. Well, the question is, what's causing that? Why is that Happening, You have to keep asking this why question. Uh, and I think uh, this drives at it. It's false beliefs, false beliefs about myself. I, I, I have some longings. I, I need to feel significant. I need to feel approved, uh, but, I, but I don't. So I'm trying to kind of fill in the gaps and, and present an image that, that makes me feel important and significant. But if you do, drill deeper down, what you're believing about God is that I'm not really believing that Jesus can satisfy my deepest longings. Now, you may have believed it yesterday or last week, but, but in that moment of faking and hiding, you're not believing it. Because if you believed it, you would not be, you would, could not be faking and hiding. Our behaviors reveal our underlying beliefs in our heart. But you still might say, I don't, I don't fake and hide. I mean... What you see is the real me. I just keep it real. I just, I just say it as, it as it is. I just don't believe you, if that's the case. Uh, no one is completely immune, but for some, it impacts their daily lives. For some, it controls their daily lives. So, so it's a spectrum. It, it, will, it, it will impact or influence you, or it might go all the way to controlling or somewhere in between. And imagine uh, for a moment that you have one hundred trillion dollars, which is just an absurd amount of money but But think about it, in I think the not too distant future, we will see the world 's first trillionaire, right I mean it's on its way. Uh, uh, musk and, and Bezos uh, they're on their way, but for now, for this illustration, you have a hundred trillion dollars, and that's so much money that you could spend. One billion dollars every single day, and it would take you four full lifetimes to spend it all. So you're not going to run out. You're not possibly uh, going to run out. So you've got 100 trillion dollars, and somebody steals ten thousand dollars. How do you feel? You don't even know it. It's not even. It's not even a bug that lands on you. You will never know it. You'll never feel it. You're not going to miss a mere ten thousand dollars. Now let's say you have. $20,000, that's all you have in the world, and somebody steals $10,000. How do you feel? Well, you're upset, you're raging, you're anger, angry, and then when the rage begins to settle, then the, then the fear begins to take over. You're like, what am I going to do? How am I going to get that money back? How am I going to live? How will I replace the loss? One more example. You have $20,000. No one has stolen that $20,000, but every day somebody tries to steal the, the $10,000. Somebody tries to steal the $10,000. Now how do you feel? Well, you're still angry and you're fearful. And, and it's almost worse than actually stealing the $10,000 because that's once and done. But now every day you feel like something valuable. I can't let that happen. So you fight and fight and dig and make sure that never ever happens. This is why we fake and hide. Because spiritually speaking, we feel like we have such meager, minimal resources in life. And if you take what I have, I can't possibly live another day. That's, I mean, some people actually get to that point, don't we? So we fight and search for significance and approval. And that means that we fake and we hide our way through our days. And it can affect Every aspect of our life. It can affect the way we parent our children. It can affect the way we interact with people at work and and at church. It can largely determine how we spend our money, how we spend our time. It can have a stranglehold on us and we're not even aware of it. All because we do not understand the spiritual riches that we have in Christ. Because if understood correctly, we have... Way more than $100 trillion in spiritual riches. We have an infinite amount of spiritual riches. Paul calls it in Ephesians 1, lavish. It's a lavish grace. It is, you can't possibly exhaust it. But we live as if we have almost nothing. So our ultimate problem is not with our behavior. It's not really even with our, with our inner motives. It's with our belief. It's a lack of belief in God's sufficiency uh, to solve all of our problems. And if, that, if a, a, la- a lack of belief in God's sufficiency is a problem, then the solution to that problem is a belief in that, to rest and know uh, about Christ. We need to have our beliefs rooted in the life and death and resurrection of Christ, which will then satisfy our deepest longings. I'm going to give two final examples, one from the life of Jesus and the death of Jesus. In the life of Jesus, what was the first shedding of blood on the night of the crucifixion? When did that happen? Sweating drops of blood, right? Sweating, drops of blood. Jesus said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He knew his death was coming, but in that moment he felt like he was just about dead. We can't even conceive of, it's hardly worth even trying to understand the depths of that sorrow that faced him. So how in the world did he go from overwhelming Death-crushing sorrow to a moment later saying, nevertheless not my will, but yours be done. How did he get to that? Did he say, well, you know what? It's going to happen, so I'll just, I will just better walk through it, and, and I'll, just, I'll just bear it, and it's gonna, that's, that's the end of it. Of course not. He rooted himself again in the riches of, of his relationship with his father, with the truthfulness that God is good, that, that the, the crushing sorrow that he was experiencing then and the physical sorrow he's going to experience in just a matter of minutes or hours was nothing. Such that the writer of Hebrews could say, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning and shame, it's nothing. Next to my father and the infinite riches therein. That's the life of Christ. He's not even gone yet, and we see that. And for the death of Christ, I simply want to read through Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, his infinite riches, is out there, it, we can get it. He may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your, say that, inner being. What do you think that is? Well, he tells us, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted in ground and ground in love, you're already, if you're, if you, if you're a believer in Christ, you're already rooted in ground and ground in love. And if you if you know that tree illustration, you know it's at the bottom of the tree. You're rude and ground love. Nothing can change that. And, and based on that, you may have strength. And he's praying this, right? I'm praying that you have strength to comprehend with all the saints, all of us together, not just you individually, all of us together, the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You, you notice something almost, you almost call it ironic? He's praying that we would comprehend Surpassing knowledge. How do you grasp, how do you comprehend surpassing knowledge? The answer is you don't. But what you do is you, you grab big, big chunks of it, which each individual chunk is, is more than enough. It's more than sufficient. I mean, that, that well will never run dry. Uh, it will never, for all eternity, uh, grasp or comprehend uh, the, the love of God we can we can we can feast on it. That's why on that, that diagram we I have a line there. It says for every look at self, for every one look at self, take ten looks at Christ. I mean you you have to you have to examine the heart. You have to allow the Holy Spirit to examine your heart. You have to invite others to help you examine your heart. But but don't but don't just don't just wallow in pity and self introspection constantly. Look to Christ. And sometimes when you look to Christ, that is the mirror that can reveal. What's in your heart? We get to do that of sorts as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. We, there's, there's, a, there's a feasting here, isn't it? Eating his body, drinking his blood, which, by the way, is when that giant group of disciples left after Jesus taught on that. We're, we're, we're nourished spiritually. But I, I, maybe if it helps... You do what the Lord wants you to do. If it helps dwell on this passage, this this feasting on the surpassing infinite riches of God. If you know Christ as Savior, uh, the only thing that would prevent you from experiencing this morning is, I believe the Bible describes it this way, um, some sort of sin that you have refused to let go of. Okay? Okay? So it's not that, that you're sinning, that's all of us, but a sin that you've refused to let go of, something internally, something with another relationship. The Bible says D- don't participate, it's dangerous. But for the rest of you, if you know Christ, I, I don't care uh, where you live, where you're from, we invite you to share with us and we ask you to come down the center aisle, take the elements, have a seat, and then we'll partake together.